Good morning. Here's the question. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do when you find yourself facing a battle that you don't have the strength and the resources to fight? We finished the God Is series last weekend, and next weekend is Palm Sunday, so we didn't want to kick off a brand new series this morning, which means I got to just seek the Lord over what passage to be in this morning. And as I sat with him in prayer, I just continually heard him, sensed him saying, There are many at Vertical who are overdue for a breakthrough. Guys, confession, pastor's going first. I need a breakthrough. Uh, Maybe it's because we've had 900 days of winter. Maybe it's because there's some other things going on in my life. But my relationship with the Lord is just not as intimate and dynamic and sweet as it's been in past days. Can anyone relate with that? I need a breakthrough. How about you? Where where do you need a breakthrough? Where are you facing a battle that you don't have the strength and the resources in and of yourself to fight? Maybe it's external. Maybe there's a health situation. Maybe there are some financial stressors. Maybe there's a broken relationship. Maybe your marriage is really struggling this morning. If that's you, let me just say, As the married people, we get it, and the Lord wants to bring a breakthrough this week to your marriage. Maybe it's an internal battle. Maybe you're experiencing a depression or anxiety or just boredom in life. Maybe you're stuck in a sin cycle. You hate that sin. You want out of that sin, but it just feels like you don't have the strength and the resources to win that battle. Loved one, where do you need a breakthrough? Do you even know? If you don't know, I'm concerned for you because there's no such thing as a healthy, passive Christian. Being a a Christian is equal parts rest and war. Jesus preached two sermons, come and live and go and die. Receiving grace means resting from some things like the punishment of sin, praise God, and trying to earn our way into right standing before God. We can rest from those things. But receiving grace also means receiving the strength and the resources to war for some things like putting sins to death and reconciling relationships and going after the Lord for healing and 10,000 other blessings and battles that come and are won by grace and grace alone. So let me ask you again, just put your finger on it. Where do I need a breakthrough today? What battle does God want you to fight this week 2 Samuel 11 says, spring is the time kings go out for war. And on this very spring-like morning, isn't this morning just beautiful? The Lord of armies is going to teach us how to battle for a breakthrough. Open up your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, God's people are facing a battle that they don't have the strength and the resources to fight on their own. After a season of backsliding and walking away from the Lord, 
King Jehoshaphat returns to God and he leads all of the people of Judah to do the same. In chapter 19, he brings repentance and reform to his whole kingdom. But in chapter 20, he's going to find himself facing a battle that he does not have the strength or resources to fight. And he, listen, like us, is going to be in a desperate place in need of a breakthrough. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say there. All right, guys, let's lean in. This is what we got out of bed for, right here. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from behind the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar. We're like, where's that? That is En Gedi. Oh, got it. Okay. So there's, they're just minding their own business, going hard after the Lord, and one day they get word, there's an army marching your way. It's not just a big one. See it in the text. It's a great multitude. That's the last way you want your armies to be described, the one that's marching against you. That's Bible talk, for there's too many to count. And what's interesting is that if you look back to chapter 17, verse 10, it says, the fear of Yahweh fell upon all the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. So back in chapter 17, God made all the surrounding kingdoms fear Jehoshaphat, so there was peace. So what changed between verse seven, chapter 17 and, and chapter 20? Obviously, God removed the fear of the Lord from them. Apparently, you guys, God wants this battle to happen. When God wants to bring a breakthrough, point one, first thing he's going to do is he's going to appoint a problem. No one grows closer to God when life is easy. Spiritual highs happen in circumstantial lows. And so if God loves you, if God wants to give you a breakthrough, your good shepherd is going to lead you into a valley of the shadow. Every problem and challenge and difficulty you are facing or will face this week is there because God put it there. And he put it there because he loves you and he wants to bring you into a new place with him. So what should we do when God sovereignly appoints a problem in our life too big to solve? See it in verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. When we feel surrounded by Satan's attack or sin's power or just something scary and hard or frustrating or irritating or discouraging, set your face to seek the Lord. And specifically, what does that even mean? Look at the end of verse 3. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Guys, if you want a breakthrough, fast first. Fasting is giving up something physical to go after something spiritual. Fasting says, right now, this spiritual is more important than my physical. Fasting isn't about going without food. It's about refusing to go without God. 
And all throughout the Bible, when God's people find themselves with their backs against the rope, when they're in a place where they, they know, I cannot move forward without the Lord, they fast. So this week, whatever battle God appoints for you this week, fast first. For me, not every week, but typically I, I fast breakfast and lunch on Mondays because I need my body to remind my soul, Chris, you need God this week. Chris Osmus, you need God. And so I fast on Monday to tell God and to tell myself, I just flat out refuse to move into this week without the Lord. That's not a law or anything. Do whatever works best for you. But if you need a breakthrough, fast first. But not only does Jehoshaphat seek the Lord through fasting, look at verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, notice who he's talking to, O Lord, God of our fathers. The second way God brings breakthrough is by calling us to prayer. And the prayer that he's about to pray isn't a, a Minnesota nice, O Lord, uh, you know there's a great multitude coming our way and and if it's your will, it would sure be nice if they would just scooch around us. That's, that's not the prayer he's about to pray. He's about to pray a battle prayer. Do you know what a battle prayer is? Here's what a battle prayer is. Next point of application. If you want to break through, pray battle prayers. Verse 6, we're going to see four ingredients of Jehoshaphat's prayer that just seems to get the attention of God. Verse 6, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers. Look where he starts. Are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. When you're praying, like really praying, one, first, remember who God is. That's the first thing we see in this prayer. Start your prayer with praise. Jesus taught us this. Pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, when, when you go through something hard, the problem feels huge and God feels small. That's what indwelling sin does. Indwelling sin works like a funny mirror that makes our problems look huge and our God look tiny. I call this spontaneous onset small God syndrome. And so when we approach God in prayer, the first thing we must do is remember the attribute series. Remember how unspeakably, unfathomably massive God is and how intimidatingly puny our problems are in comparison to our God. That's why we start with ascription in prayer. Battle prayers begin by remembering, God, this is who you are. And see what he does next, verse 7. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? When you're praying for a breakthrough, the next thing you need to do is recall what God has done in the past. Isn't it amazing how as soon as something hard hits, we immediately forget all the ways God has been there for us. 
When I'm facing something hard, it's like any record of God's faithfulness just disappears. And in my heart, I'm thinking, okay, is God even, is God with me? Is God for me? Is he going to leave me out here just to, to die? And the question I need to ask myself is, well, Chris, has he ever, like ever, for God to forsake you, Christian, Jesus would need to be ripped off the throne, ripped out of heaven, so that you, a member of his very body through union by faith, could be severed and forsaken. So when you're facing something scary, slow down and just remember all the ways that God has come through for you in the past. As you pray, just say, God, I remember how you did this. And, and Lord, I remember how you showed up for that. And how could I forget that one time when you did that? And as you recall all the ways God has been there for you in the past, primarily in AD 33 on Calvary, God will strengthen your heart for your present battle. Verse 8, Jehoshaphat continues praying. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine. We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now watch this, verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. He's like, God, do you not see this? They're closing in on us. If they get here, you know they're going to drive us out. When you're really praying, I mean really praying, you need to actually request what you need. Sometimes the most pious among us have a particular predisposition to never actually ask for anything. Oh, sovereign Lord, I trust you, and you know that this thing is happening, and I'm so glad that I trust you, and you are good, and you are powerful. Amen. And it's like, well, that's awesome that you think he's good, and he's powerful, and I love that you trust him, but, but don't you want to step into the privilege of actually asking God to do something? That's what prayer's for. John Piper writes, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. That's it. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. God wants you to actually ask for real grace to meet you in your real-time need. Call the Calvary down. 
Call Christ down, and he will give you fresh grace and power to meet you for your present battle. Don't forget when you pray to actually ask God for his glorious display to do that which you cannot do for yourself. And then lastly and most importantly, Jehoshaphat prays, verse 12, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. Probably the most famous verse now in chapter 20. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. For release any illusion of self-dependency. That's when you know you're praying a battle prayer. When God brings you to the place and you find yourself saying, all right, I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't know how to get myself out of this. I don't know what the next move is. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. When you pray that prayer, buckle your chin strap. God's about to move. And when it seems like God's delaying, more often than not, he's waiting to get you to this place. My old pastor used to say, prayer is simply becoming spiritually fit to receive what God is already willing to do. God's already willing to give you the breakthrough. So it's not that you're waiting on him. He's waiting on you to finally release any illusion of self-dependency. I can just testify, guys, the times that God has brought me to the place where my forehead is on the floor and my tears are soaking the carpet and I'm just, I got nothing, Lord. I need you. None of those prayers have gone unanswered. Not one. Now, he didn't always do exactly what I was asking him to do, but listen, he always did something. What if our only goal for this next week is to get to this place? I just want to get to this place where I finally relinquish any illusion of self-dependency. What if that's your entire reason for rolling out of bed for the next seven days? I can tell you what would happen God will do something. He might not do the thing you're asking him to do, but he will do something. Something will happen. Something will begin to change. God will begin to move. We see that here right in verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, just get the picture, and their wives and their children, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jeel, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, the prophet said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, 
You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. The third way God brings breakthrough to the battle is by giving us a promise. Through the prophet, God promises God's people, I will be with you. And down in verse 20, Jehoshaphat tells, if you guys want to skip forward just a minute, guys, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Guys, what we need to do as we just grow with Christ is learn how to put your full weight on his words. This is why we roll out of bed every morning and immediately get to this book. Not because there's a box to check, but because there's a battle to fight. There's a battle, and you're going to need a specific, spirit-filled, blood-bought promise for that present battle. And you Bible readers can testify to this. It's nothing short of miraculous how almost every day you walk into something that is immediately relevant to what you were just reading, right? God gives me promises almost every day for battles that I'm totally not thinking I'm going to be fighting today. Until I'm in that moment, I was like, I, just, I was just reading about this. It's exactly right. God sovereignly sends specific promises for your specific battles. So, do you know what God has promised you for the battles you know you're going to fight this week? We know that we are going to fall into all too familiar sin patterns. And so would you just put your full weight on Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Lean on that, not like halfway. You will have no joy in your Christian life if you're putting 80% of your weight on that promise. Guys, on it, everything, he will bring it to completion. I'm putting my full weight on that promise. When you drive into work this week thinking, I hate my job. I'm about to waste the next eight hours of my life. Do you know Colossians 3.23? Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That changes the way you walk in on Monday. God promised Jehoshaphat in verse 17, I will be with you. And God made, has made the same promise to you in Matthew 28, 20. And lo and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling, just dare to put your full weight on His words. And the Spirit will give you a breakthrough. He will give you fresh courage 
and fresh intimacy with the Lord for whatever you're about to walk through. All right, but how do we actually fight the battle? (laughs) So far, all we've talked about is praying and reading our Bibles. At some time, we actually need to stand up and do something, right? See in Zex, verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat, again, just picture this, you guys, bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Picture the scene. They're about to go into battle. Everyone is bowed down on their faces before the Lord. God, we praise you. We need you. We, we, without you, we've got nothing. And then all of a sudden, a group of people stand up and begin singing. The group of people are the Kohathites and the Korathites. If you remember, the Levites, the descendants of Levi, were the people God put in charge with facilitating the temple. They were priests. And one of Levi's sons was Koath. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, we see that the descendants of Koath, the Kohathites, were the people God put in charge with leading the musical worship in the temple. You guys, the Kohathites were the first worship band. So they stand up and they just begin praising God, not with a loud voice, with a very loud voice. Apparently it goes all the way till bedtime. Next day, verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and they went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. He just reminds them again. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. So trusting God's Word, Jehoshaphat's like, well, let's not just sit around waiting for this horde. Let's go say hi. And so they get up and they start moving. And then he makes what I think is by far the worst battle strategy ever. He's deciding who's going to be the front line. He doesn't send the rangers. He doesn't send the seals. He sends the worship team. And they're like, well, we haven't practiced yet, and I don't have a pick, and what are we playing? And, and he's like, well, we'll sing that, that, that Chris Tomlin song. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. And so they just start singing that song. And watch this, verse 22. Now the verb tenses are very important in verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise... The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the Mount of Seir, 
devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. They all just fight, start fighting one another. Why? Because God conquered them with a choir. The third way, fourth, sorry, third way God brings breakthrough in the battle is by granting you power. Believer, God will give you grace. God will work miracles. Does this church believe in miracles? Some of us do, okay. God will bring breakthrough and he'll do it, listen, once we begin to sing and praise. Our worship is his weapon. Verse 22, it says, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. God was waiting for them. God was waiting for them to start singing, and once they started singing, he moved. Most of us have that backwards. Most of us say, okay, God, you do something awesome, and then I'll praise you for it. Most of us think worship is a response to God's grace. Today we're seeing in this text, no, no, worship is a means of God's grace. Faith-filled singing is the sovereign spark that ignites His saving power. Turn your Bibles over to Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. And if they were sleeping, that would make sense. You'd be exhausted after getting thrown into prison. If they're crying, that would make sense. They've both been severely beaten by Rome. They're not sleeping. They're not crying. Acts 16.25 It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Watch this now. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Their worship was his weapon. Guys, is it any wonder why Satan can, tries to convince us every week, you don't need to go to church. You were just there last week. You've had a super long week. Just, just, just sleep in. Is it any wonder while we're singing, you hear Satan's whisper, hey, don't, hey, don't sing too loud. That's going to be a distraction. People are going to look at you. You don't want to just be one of those people who gets caught up in the emotionalism, right? Guys, Satan hates worship because he knows your worship is God's weapon. As we sing, God does things that he wasn't doing until we started singing. As we sing, God brings the victory. Just see it in verse 24. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And when Josaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods and clothing and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could not carry no more. They were there Three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Just a little side comment. It took three days 
to receive the full blessing of God. Interesting. Verse 26, on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barak, for, thereby, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem, circle this, with joy, for the Lord made them rejoice over their enemies. Did they go home? Did they go take a nap? Verse 28, they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets, and they went to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Verse 30, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. The fifth way God brings breakthrough to the battle is by rewarding the prize. Verse 30 is my favorite verse in the whole passage. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott and four other young missionaries were about to enter the jungle of Ecuador where the Aqua Indians lived. It's recorded in a journal that before they left the beach, they gathered in a circle, they prayed, and they sang these lines together. We go in faith our own great weakness feeling and needing more each day by grace to know. Yet from our hearts a song of triumph pealing, we rest in thee, in thy name we go. And all of them were killed just a few hours later. So the question, did their singing fail? Gosh, no. God used their singing to protect them from wasting their lives on the American dream. God used their singing to give them fresh faith, faith they would need to face their death. God used their singing and their subsequent deaths to lead nearly the entire tribe to saving faith in Jesus. God used their singing to reward them with the eternal prize of singing face to face with the all-satisfying Savior of their souls. God gave them rest all around. Yeah, their voices fell quiet, but God gave them rest all around. As we battle this week, fast first, Pray battle prayers. Put your full weight on his words. And then sing. Sing like you've never sang before. And one day, like Jim Elliott, you will sing your final song. And through it, God will protect your faith and reward you with the prize of singing forever into the eyes of the one who won all your battles. Let's pray.